This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. These two guys have Minnesota sports flowing in their veins. Mackie and Judd on Score North and scorenorth.com. All right, welcome into the uh, Mackie and Judd happy hour. As you can see, it's Judd and Declan Goff filled their busy this picture after watching The Last Dance. Wow. Whoa. Declan. I, I didn't shake this up. I'm just. I'm, I, I was Whoa. sad to start, but uh, a little Be little beer there. Oh wow! Be very careful. Oh, see, I got some water here because it's a school night. All right, um, it's done. First of all, I'm sort of sad now because like this was my my weekly <laughs> highlight of binging was this show. Um, but um, here's my first question. Uh, and this is off before we get into the last dance uh, tonight's episodes nine and 10 Declan. Uh, my first observation or question is this. Uh, there've been a lot of great sports documentaries before that have been, you know, released on things like Netflix, um, the thirties for thirties traditionally on ESPN. Now those are only an hour are great, but I wonder if this documentary, especially when it comes to the right teams and right players. So I'm not saying across the board, but in this case, the 97 98 Bulls, which won their sixth consecutive title, were the right team and, you know, had a superstar transcendent player in Jordan. I wonder if we have seen or what we saw with this um, is going to redefine the sports documentary a little bit. And, you know, this obviously because the pandemic came around at the perfect time when there aren't a lot of sports or for a lot of this, there have been no sports going on. But I got to wonder, too, if people are, are going to put things in context from now on, you know, of the great players, guys like Favre. If this is going to start a little bit more of a mainstream trend of trying to gain traction with maybe not 10-part documentaries, but let's say six-part, eight-part, because, man, this thing from start to finish, in my opinion, completely captivating. If you loved basketball, that was great. But if you just love sports, this was great. I wonder if we have seen the start of what could be a new trend for how the sports documentary is consumed. And the thing is, it would be hard to ramp up something like that so quickly, right? Like, obviously, they have the next ones queued up with Lance Armstrong, um, Bruce Lee, and also I know the 1998 home run race, which is big too. So I know that has that could be potentially a documentary series. But I think also when I try to think about which teams could definitely be the next, you know, documentary series, I think obviously like the first ones that come to mind are obviously the New England Patriots or the 90s in the New York Yankees. So you could, you could start something there. And also not to say that they can't do anything prior, but I, I feel like this generation is loves nostalgia. So they, and they're, and they love things that they're familiar with. So for me, I was born in 92 and obviously I knew Michael Jordan. And I know the lores and the stories of the bulls dynasty, but I had no idea all the behind the scenes antics and Jerry Krause wanting like on before the season starts saying this team can go 82 and zero, and it doesn't matter because we're breaking this thing up. I didn't know any of that fabric. I, I knew Robin was crazy. Didn't know how crazy he was. I knew Scottie Pippen was the best second fiddle. I also didn't know he made some poor choices in his career too. So there were so many things that 
I, I never knew about this series that I think apply to other potential documentary series like the Yankees or the Patriots. The thing is also, though, that that camera access that Michael allowed to one day be able to show this. You know, d- did Derek Jeter in 2001 have a, have a camera crew in the back? And, Hell no. By the way, too, to be very clear, this takes the right team and right superstar player. Yeah. Jeter and those Yankees teams were certainly very good. I don't know if they were great, but they were certainly uh, very good teams. But were they compelling enough? No way. Like, this is a very small list. I'm, I'm not saying that, that there's going to be a lot of six to ten part uh, potential sports documentaries. I am trying to just throw out there if this could open the door for the right players and right teams. A guy like Jeter, non-starter. Access bad. I think he's a boring dude. I just don't think he is compelling. But I just keep coming back to a guy like Favre who is not boring and who has a lot of story here and who you could intertwine through, you know, what, a 16-year career in Green Bay and then uh, a year in New York with the Jets and then a couple of years here. Uh, So I'm not trying to say that this is going to become the norm in sports documentaries. I do think, though, that this sort of showed you that if you get the right guy and the right team and there's enough compelling storylines, and this, this documentary did such a good job of spinning stories off as sidebars. The Steve Kerr thing in episode nine tonight to me was fantastic. I I knew his dad had died, but I forgot the uh, circumstances. And like just that sidebar to me was so interesting and so sad, but yet pretty much put in line with how he and Michael had both tragically lost their fathers. And so this just night, or I, I shouldn't say night after night, episode after episode that this thing did, there were just so many hits as far as, oh, my gosh, that's interesting, or I didn't know that. Or to your point, at at your age, you know, you might have heard stories, but nowhere near this detail. Um, and, you know, tonight I thought that ending again was phenomenal. The, the end of episode 10 with going back and showing uh, Jordan what Reinsdorf had said about the breaking up of the team and then Reinsdorf saying that he had told Phil Jackson the night of the sixth title, hey, if you want to come back, you can, and then trying to show Jordan then he's like, no, uh, but he's still bitter about it. And, and there's just, there was the thing that I will give this documentary credit for was there was, I don't know if it was one per episode, but I would say that as they showed two parts, each Sunday decks, there was one part uh, in, in each night that they showed it that was emotionally charged. Mm-hmm. And I, the end of episode 10 tonight and talking about how, Jordan, you know, Phil had the idea to to have these guys be able to say something and then they were going to burn it because that was going to be it. Uh, And Jordan wrote a poem. I mean, how cool is that story? And I don't know if it's true or not, but I'm guessing it's true. Just stuff like that to me is just so inside a team, but so compelling. Exactly. And I think the way it was shot, I know some people have criticized, you know, it's Judd where they don't like that there's these, you're in 98 and then we go back to 89 and then we're in 96 and then we're in 98 and then 92. And it, there's definitely parts where you could tell that because, you know, they moved this premiere up. There was maybe some things that were rushed a little bit and they could have maybe pieced the story together as a whole. Now that you see everything and how it was shot, I'm sure they would have liked to have done some things differently. But to your point, I think it's an integral part of the story to how they got there. You know, like, it's almost like it, it's like a movie memento. Here's the final scene. Right. Here is what it is. Let's well go back and then and then fast forward to everything you had to had to see to get there. I thought that was really unique. 
in terms of the emotional ties, yes. I mean, I knew Michael Jordan lost his father. I, I did not know anything about Steve Kerr. Um, I didn't know how close he was to his security guard. The, the, you know, just these behind-the-scenes things that you would really never, ever know unless you were on that team or in Jordan's entourage, per se, or one of the team's entourages. And I thought it was integral. I, I, I was looking forward tonight to, to finally hear the food poisoning game. And I don't know what your opinions are, Judd. I, I, I tend to buy it now. I used to think it was a hangover. I always bought into the conspiracy theories. The guy just the got rumor. hammered. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? It, it very well could be. We don't know. If you want to go down a conspiracy path, we definitely can. But just how weird was it that five guys come to the door? Did they say it was for Michael Jordan? Like, you know, did, when they ordered the it pizza. It came across like that. Because what other reason would have five guys be showing up to it? The reason why I'll defend Jordan completely on on the drinking storyline that, that he was had basically gotten a blitz the night before that game and why I think that's BS is if you're Jordan, I could see going and gambling, right, which he did before the playoff game, and, and they went through that whole thing with his father. I think they were playing the Celtics, and he went to, what, Atlantic City to gamble and all that. But think about this one. If you're Michael Jordan and you can basically have the whole summer to drink, are you really going to go get blitzed the night before a finals game? Like it makes no sense. Um, But yeah, I had, I didn't know the story that, that he had had, as you just said, five guys show up who were, is Jordan in there? Is Jordan in there? And and then I I think the underlying um, or not so unsaid thing was that they were concerned that those kids obviously had put something on that pizza and had poisoned Jordan and that the flu game which is now going to be called the food poisoning game, wasn't necessarily um, like a, oops, the pizza wasn't right. It's an, it came off to me as them trying to imply that something had been done to taint the pizza. But yeah, I mean, just going back through all of the, those things and, you know, I'm certainly not Mr. Basketball. I remember the series and certainly uh, the whole entirety of Jordan's career. But if you're in your shoes, which is just a, a lot of the stuff you've heard or read about, but didn't live through and now seeing it or in my shoes with just going back and seeing the detail, this thing just hit such a home run in, in laying out lots of things. And where I do give them cre- credit to is this, you know, and we talked about this after episodes um, uh, seven and eight last week, you know, Pippen came across at times throughout the course of this uh, as sort of a what man he didn't play through this or he was upset so he got surgery late in 98 so his the start of his 97 98 season was delayed and it definitely came across as Jordan uh, questioning Pippen at times Declan but you know they did a pretty good job and I thought they especially did this in going through the game that Pippen played with a bad back against the Jazz in 98 they did a pretty good job in the production of this at times tonight at least in trying to defend Pippen like Jordan didn't do it himself really but the producers try to at least contextualize that Pippen might not have been quite as weak as Michael tried to say at times. It doesn't mean that Jordan didn't like Pippen, but there were definite times where he pointed out that Scottie Pippen was not as tough as Jordan, which is probably true. And I think that's uh, the one athlete I, I had no idea all the not mistakes because they weren't mistakes. Scotty, it's almost like we were villain. Some of us are villainized Scottie Pippen after this. It's just I think a lot of us now have a realization that. Scottie Pippen made some pretty questionable decisions, number one, in his business and in his contract with the, with, the, with the Bulls. But learning about how he went off canny and was upset that he wasn't going to get the ball. For the first time, Scottie Pippen, who always was fine being, being behind the scenes and the facilitator, 
was upset that because Jordan was gone, I wasn't going to get the ball. And how, and what that did to the team, because I think sometimes, Judd, when you have a secondary character in a story that has to rise and be the hero, you want to see that tenacity, right? Like you mm-hmm. want to see that that dog in someone. Yep. And when Scotty was like, I want to be that person, everyone said, dude, you're not thinking of the team. You're not think, You're not even being you. And this, I don't even want to see this from you. I thought that was so intriguing from Scotty. And I, I knew that he went off after Chicago, and I, that was the last dance with him too. But I did not know all the behind again behind the scenes things with Scotty Pippen that didn't lead to his demise. I just I think differently of him a little bit now. I really do. Now, what was the co- contrast too that to me is intriguing about this as well from a last shot standpoint is the, and it, throughout the course of the series, both of these came up. The one came up tonight, but. You know, they were very, it was pointed out and accurately that early on in the playoff run in the early 90s, John Paxson got a key shot and made it, I believe. And and then there was the shot that uh, Jordan knew that he would be double teamed and Steve Kerr wouldn't be. And so Steve Kerr got that last shot. And, And so I do think that there was a point made too pretty well, and it's fine. But that, you know, there were times where Jordan was not the guy picked to take the last shot and Jordan deferred because he he knew that that would be okay. So that's where Pippen comes off worse. But, yeah, I would say the only place where Pippen really looks bad is that is that game, the playoff game, when Jordan was not there and insisting on taking the last shot and being told, if Kukoc is going to take it, I'm not going back in. The rest of it was very, you know, migraines are hard to judge, really hard to judge. Tonight, they made it extremely clear that Pippen played through an awful back in the finals against the Jazz. Um, The contract is different because Pippen sought the opportunity to get a long-term lucrative at that time, early 90s contract. You know, he had seen his dad, what, have a stroke in front of him. And there were a lot of reasons why Scottie Pippen wanted that contract at the time. Uh, But there's no defending the fact that he told Phil Jackson, I'm not going back in. But, you know, Jordan, at times himself, did not take that last shot. So so it's just the mentality of that team, too, Declan, and of Michael Jordan to me is so intriguing because the whole thing, you know, if there was one common theme through every episode of The Last Dance to me, it was this. Nothing's really changed for Jordan in the fact that he is still bitter about things, that he's still wired to win, that he is – that there's no off switch. Like to the day he dies, he is going to be that guy. And that guy is a, you know, six-time champion, fantastic, one of, if not the best basketball player of all time. But I guess where I come away wondering, and, you know, he's not going to get into this now, but I come away wondering for Michael Jordan is, like, what do you do at this age to channel that, not even anger, but that, that just intensity to continually compete and to this day he's doing it and in some ways this documentary gave him that opportunity to talk about people and vent about things which show how competitive he remains yeah he's a tortured soul to me honestly i i look at it as as, as, it's it's torture it's not everyone looks at michael jordan and and even kobe bryant as as these mentality killers and their and their drive and success to win is what set them apart and it did not disputing that but i even think in kobe 
later years, and obviously he tragically passed away earlier this year, I think you started to see Kobe kind of unplug from that mentality a little bit more, become a little bit more human, a little bit more out of the game. The game does not control him. I'm, I'm sure there are still things and philosophies in life that he carried to his last day, but you saw a little bit more human in Kobe Bryant once he was able to finally walk away from the game, spend more time with his family, be an ambassador for the WNBA. You saw something different with Kobe eventually being a little bit more human. And I think LeBron James, in the same way, once he retires from the game, there's going to be even a more human side, and he's more personable than those two by, by, a, by a long shot. Oh, yeah. But I, I think there's sometimes, like Ric Flair, the, the, the ones that the, the documentary that makes me remember this most is the Ric Flair one, because Rick just never knew how to walk away from wrestling and how to walk away from not just being, you know, Richard Flair, which I believe is his birth name, but his stage name of being the nature boy, Rick Flair. Mm-hmm. And he's stuck. He is even to the day he dies, he is stuck being that in a shell of himself. And it, it's kind of sometimes hard to watch when you see heroes and people that you remember being these prominent figures that can't get past that. And, I, right. and, and Michael, that, that, that's what it reminds me of, is Michael is stuck being, not a jerk, but just still being Michael Jordan from the day he walked off the court in 98. I don't count when he came back to Washington, but when he left right. the Bulls, he's still that person. Yes. Well, and I, this is what he had. Like, I, I think in Kobe's case, he had, you know, that competitive streak that was huge, but then I think he sort of transitioned into life. It, it does not seem like... And he's got billions, okay? So he's doing just fine. So I'm not trying to say that I that we, we should feel sorry for Jordan or, or that Jordan's not doing just great. Um, but for lack of a better term, it seems like he, he has not really transitioned into civilian life all that well. Like Kobe did. Kobe had kids, you know, tragically, as you said, passed away. But his daughter and her basketball, and like he channeled that elsewhere. You know, Jordan's owned Charlotte, but it's been a, it's been awful, right? Yeah. And and he tried to come back in in Washington, uh, but it doesn't seem like he's really transitioned into okay. But this is is it now? The interesting thing about this for Jordan from Jordan's side too, though, is that lack of ability to transition also is what made him so great. Because again, the whole thing is he didn't do politics, and I sincerely think he doesn't care, and that's fine. But he just had this one thing, and that was basketball and the pursuit of championships, and it's like, okay, but as you get to 50, can you find something else that's going to intrigue you or that you're going to do? And in Kobe's case, before he passed, um, he seemed to have found that. LeBron, you know, has a lot of different things. Michael had this. How intriguing did you find it, Declan, too, that I believe in the 10 episodes of The Last Dance, this is the only appearance that they made, and it was really, really brief, talking about the Utah Jazz, Michael Jordan's kids. His daughter and two sons, I right. believe, unless I un, unless I'm uh, we're getting appearances elsewhere during the course of this documentary. Michael Jordan's kids appeared in one of the episodes tonight, talking about how basically the family despised the Jazz. And I think, and there's no question that this was a Jordan call. I think that that is all we saw from his three grown children, who I'm sure would have a lot to say if you sat them down for an extended period of time. Yeah, the logistics of that is interesting because. Obviously, this was Mike. This was Michael Jordan's baby, if you will. I know he hired a crew and a, and a production crew put it out, but let's be honest. Jordan was the one facilitating this and having the control on it. Here, final say, basically. Yeah. yeah, and 
I thought I was wondering that too going in. There was a few things going in these last two episodes that I hadn't seen, and I was confused why it hasn't happened yet. One, it was the hangover, flu, food poisoning ginks. I knew they hadn't talked about that yet. Um, the other was just in general the Jazz because I remember that being their biggest and their their last two championships, but their biggest hurdle, their actual real biggest competition at at ending it, um, and just trying to figure out where his kids and family life drew into it because you saw so much from his parents in the first two in the first seven eight episodes, but you never saw any of his kids. And the last thing that I I really wanted to see tonight, and I'm I'm a little bummed they didn't touch on more, but I get it. I, I wish there was a more deep dive into like, all right, what happened this summer after the last championship? I know it's inevitable everyone got traded or retired and went away. I still would have appreciated just like 15, 20 more minutes on the transactions, the quotes, what people remembered on that. Even though that was uh, that part was already rhetorical and we knew what was going to happen, I still wanted to see how that unfolded. So that was the only thing I, like, I missed. But you bring up a good point. That it's it's interesting that his family, his kids specifically. I don't I don't, I don't know if he's still married to the same woman or, or whatever it is, but you didn't see anything of his children at all up until this last episode. So I thought that was pretty. Interesting. And they're talking about the Utah dads. Yeah, and, and it like, wasn't talking about their their okay. dad's life or anything like that. Yeah, it was it was just more of hey, we hated the Utah Jazz, and like well, okay, that's it. What was it like having Michael Jordan come home? What, did he come home? You know, during the season, what was it like living under that, that under that roof? I can only imagine. Yeah, I, it was. They, they definitely made an eleventh hour attempt at the end, and Pippen um, gave credit to Jerry Krause, the GM and and architect of the team, and that they, felt unnatural. They, they, well, they definitely tried at the end to sort of make up for what Michael had sold short, because the whole thing. If there's two people that came away from this looking not so great to me, um, Jerry Krause is one through fifty. And Scotty Pippen's 55. Like, Scotty Pippen didn't look terrible. Right. There, there are a couple things uh, that don't look great for Scotty, but I didn't think that he was made to look awful. You know, aside from Pippen at the very end being like, Jerry Cross, of course, greatest GM of all time, assembled this team, w- which was sort of like a Hail Mary of, hey, yeah. let's look good at the end. Jerry Krause, um, who passed a few years back, looks looked absolutely awful. Probably not fair. The more thought I gave it to, this guy looks good because he was such a great coach, and they certainly gave him credit with doing things. But, you know, in retrospect, they probably could have done a little bit more to pat Phil Jackson on the back. Um, they did an okay job. But, uh, but man, Jerry Krause, they, I thought they might come back and do a little bit more. And, and it was crystal clear, and this goes to what you're saying about Jordan clearly have, you know, having tons of editorial say – um, it was crystal clear that Michael Jordan, and I think they sat down with him for eight hours of of conversation, never said one thing about Kraus of, hey, you know, I didn't like him personally, but he did a good job. I don't think that those words ever crossed Michael Jordan's lips. Yeah, it's too bad that Jerry doesn't have the chance to defend himself because the way, I mean, I didn't really know, I'll be honest, I didn't even know who Jerry Kraus was before this. I mean, and that's just me not being a big basketball guy and a Bulls guy. I didn't really know. I knew there was a GM of the Bulls, but if you would have quizzed me, who was a general manager of the Bulls from, you know, when he was there, 87 to 2003, sure. I would have been like, I don't know who it is. I really don't. And it, and he looked, they made him look like the worst person. And for someone like me who didn't know anything about Jerry Krause, now that's how I'm remembering him. You know, and is it is it fair? No. But that right. the way this documentary painted at, I was like, man, Jerry Krause seems like, 
I mean, yeah, he, he was a competent and very successful general manager, but, man, he kind of seemed like a buffoon with the way he went about things. And that's, that's now how I think of Jerry Krause, which is unfortunate, but it, it's how this documentary shed the light on him. He had no people skills, but he built a damn good team. He did. And the Pippen trade, I mean, Scotty Pippen played college basketball at nowhere, USA, basically. Yeah. And he got Scotty Pippen. And so it, it's probably not fair in retrospect to sell him that short, but it's pretty, it's pretty clear from uh, 10 hours of the last dance that, that uh, Jordan had an agenda to serve on some people and that he definitely served it really, really uh, very much so on cross, which gets me to the, my biggest takeaway from this entire thing is, is they started off before this even got going. And then it was addressed extensively last week of basically the question was Michael Jordan or is he a good guy? And I think the resounding answer is good guy. No, he's not. He is. I don't think he's the devil. I don't think he's a terrible person, but a good guy. No. Um, But I think the takeaway fair or not from my end, at least is to Declan is this. He's not a good guy, but that's what makes him a champion. Uh I don't think that you could make, and, and this is probably true of Kobe, the player. Um, I don't think you can make those people something they're not and still have them be that successful. And that killer mentality of I will do whatever it takes to win, and if I have to uh, truck opponents, Isaiah Thomas, if I have to truck my teammates, I don't care. So so ultimately, did they show Michael Jordan to be a good person? No. But is that what makes him a champion? I think the answers are resounding yes. Yeah, I think the biggest takeaway that I have is that Michael Jordan is tortured and he and he will never change. Um, I I really was unfortunate. It's unfortunate. Do you, think he's, Do you think he's tortured or conflicted? Like I think tortured's too strong because I, I, think, I think he's tortured. He, I think he's very conflicted. I don't think he's conflicted. Uh, I think his mindset, even when he retired and came back, when his mind is set on something, it's focused, right? It's hyper focused. I'm going to do this thing. And when he retired, he thought that was the right move to go play baseball. I think he's tortured. And now that he's up there in age, and I can see your point that maybe it's confliction and not torture, but I think he knows that now I'm really over the hill. I accomplished everything there is in life, and he felt that accomplishment early. You know, he felt that accomplishment in the in 1994 when he first walked away at what 30 years old. I mean, how do how do you just walk away from that? It's because he. He had accomplished everything there was to accomplish. And, and, now his, dad I, died, really. and, his, and his father died. His there was other, died there was other ter- uh, factors there too, for sure. But after the second three-peat, he just realized, I know, I know the coach isn't coming back. I know my buddies aren't coming back. So that's it, and that's fine. And I, I think he accepted that. And I don't think it's confliction. I think he has such this competitive nature to be so hyper-focused on everything that he's doing that – he doesn't know how to flip it off, even when it's not an athletic event. Well, that's probably true. That's that's true. Um, last thing, can you and and I saw this as a kid growing up, and until two thousand and something in post game celebrations, this did not change. But can you imagine now the old day championship celebrations of champagne with no goggles? Oh, that stuff going it def- hurts. 70s, 80s, 90s, I think into the 2000s, there were there were um, clubhouse, you know, championship celebrations held with no goggles. And it looked goofy at first, but now in retrospect in 2020, 
watching that. Can you imagine that crap going in your eyes and the amount of burning? And there was nothing to stop it. No yeah. goggles, no glasses, no nothing. It's not even the social distancing part that we're that we're now living in COVID nineteen and being quarantined and not touching our faces and being more mindful of spreading the germs. It's just the idea of having your eyes burned out from having flipping champagne poured inside of it. I know what you mean. I don't know how they do that. I I, I didn't win a lot as a kid, and I'd never obviously made it as a professional oh, athlete yet. Knock on this wood. Isn't a, this is not a personal yeah. like. This is seeing it though, and seeing guys wear uh, wear uh, goggles now, and thinking back to the beer champagne celebrations, which by the way were alive and well for decades before people started to wear goggles, and being like that had to burn the hell out of your eyes. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be able to do it, Judd. I, I can barely, I can barely put in my contact, let alone uh, get doused champagne over my well, head. Can you so. imagine it getting behind your contact? Absolutely not. It'd be the worst thing ever. No thank that you, sir. No, All right, you. we're done. It's, it's been a uh, Mackie and Judd um, happy hour talking about the last dance, which now is concluded, which means my Sundays. I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. I know. I know. Bundesliga, possibly. Watch Bundesliga. I actually tried to watch a little bit of NASCAR today. I still could not do it. I'm proud to say I'm not going to give in to NASCAR. I don't care if it's back. I'm with you. I can't do NASCAR at all. Yeah, I respect. Okay, look, I, like I, I tried for like look, three minutes. Look, I love wrestling, okay? Everyone has their thing that they like that maybe society doesn't understand. So I'm, I don't bash anyone that loves nascar or indycar racing same thing i feel the same way about ufc but uh no i, I can't do nascar and and, and oh, rodman rodman playing in the nba finals one night and then disappearing oh. to join hulk hogan your thoughts i'm sorry i didn't ask you about that i had that written down peak dennis rodman man that is that was so great i was that 98 was the birth of the attitude era and arguably probably the best run of professional wrestling in over a two-year span from 98 into 2000 and I was a big WCW guy. In fact, I, one of my earliest memories is going to the Target Center at four or five years old for WCW Nitro and all the lighters hanging up during the national anthem because remember that was still a thing in pre-9-11. I remember that vividly. Um, I don't remember Rodman coming on the Nitro, even though I'm sure I was watching it as a young little kid. Um, but I thought that was great. Dennis Rodman was built for that kind of stuff, man. I mean, I'm trying to think. Disappeared from the NBA Finals yeah. to go and then came back, and Phil Jackson's like, yeah, it's Dennis. Yeah, that and that's that goes to show just how great Phil Jackson was at managing all those crazy personalities. So there, there'd be every right for to bench that guy and suit and and find him egregiously, and and somehow he knew how to he knew he knew the workings of of getting him the best. And I also love the PR the shot of the PR director saying, "All right, here we go. We're gonna try to oh, get yeah, this guy." Great. I thought that was great. I know we have, a lot of, we have a lot of friends in the PR industries around the team, and I'm sure they have a thousand stories just like that. Maybe not the severity of that Rodman incident, but where you have to, oh, my God. You know, I bet there's a Randy Moss story like that, Dex. I bet there is. I bet there is. You know, I know there's, you know, as reporters, we want all the access, but, and sometimes, you know, you maybe get a little frustrated at a PR department for doing something like that. But at the end of the day, they got to protect their athletes, man. That's what they're hired to do. Um, I, yeah. thought, I thought that was really unique, too. I, I liked it. And then he ran really well. He did? Those- he got, he got up. Fantastic. He got up. Okay, we're done. Um, Mackie and Judd podcast and daily podcast. You can find where? You Tell can people. find on Apple, Spotify, scorenorth.com. Also our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash scorenorth. And Phil will be uh, back with us tomorrow to, as we'll discuss more of The Last Dance and plenty of other topics involving um, The Last Dance, basketball. The baseball is going to come oh, back. play. God but they're not going to allow sunflower seeds or no um, high fives. And we'll also uh, talk about the Vikings as well. He's Declan. I'm Judd. We will see you later.